Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. The words of Jesus. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray together one more time as we approach the word of God. Oh God, this word is challenging to many of us and I pray that it would bear fruit in our lives. I pray that you would show us our need for you and show us that in your infinite grace we have you, that you are ours and that it was finished upon that cross. Oh, we thank you for that good news, God. And I pray that we would enjoy it now. It's for your name we pray. Amen. Many of you know uh, a big part of my story is that uh, when my wife and I were first married, it was, to put it delicately, a disaster. Uh, we, were, we were Bible college poster children. We were straight-A students. We knew the Bible backwards and forwards. We were serving in our church. On the outside, we looked very impressive. We were the kind of marriage that everybody roots for, but nobody really roots for because you don't really need to worry about him. And as soon as we got home from the honeymoon, we started fighting and arguing. I started raising my voice Selfishness pervaded every inch of our home, every second of our days. I was extremely angry and selfish. And by God's grace, we didn't stay there. Faithful resources and and mentors and teachers and counselors pointed us to the word of God and they showed us our need to love one another. They showed us that Christ has died to save us from, died to save me from my anger and selfishness. And so I share that story today to illustrate two points. First of all, I am not the guy with all of the answers, but I know the one who has them, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he died for your sins, including anger, and he rose again. So if you're here today and you're saying, I don't even need to hear this sermon about anger. I already feel awful about it. Then know that there's victory available to you because Jesus Christ is not in the tomb anymore. I share this story to show you that I'm not the guy with all the answers, but Christ gives life. And I also share this story to show you that anger is deadly. My anger in my own home brought my wife and I to the end of ourselves. We were ready to give up on each other on, on God, on faith, on the church, even on life. Anger is 
deadly. It will wreak havoc on your life if you don't deal with it. Anger is deadly, and yet we celebrate it in our culture. We, we like to watch people own the libs or crush the conservatives, depending on your political preference, because we enjoy seeing outrage from people that disagree with us. We, we celebrate politicians and pundits and podcasters and even preachers for their rants, which are really just angry tirades. We, we celebrate anger, which is deadly and killing people. Anger is deadly, and yet we celebrate it. Anger is deadly, and yet we justify it. One of the most insidious things that we do with our anger is we baptize it, and we give it cute little nicknames. And we say things like, oh, I'm not angry, I'm just impatient. No, you're angry. What does impatient mean? It's just a different word for the same thing. But we don't like the word anger. And so we try to come up with different names that sound a little bit nicer. Anger is deadly, and yet we justify it. But Christ gives life. All of the life, all of that anger is trying to steal and kill and destroy. Christ gives freely because he's not in the tomb anymore. Now, maybe there's some people in the room today that say, well, I'm not angry, so I'm just going to kind of like check out and make my shopping list or, you know, whatever for the next few minutes. Uh, well, I don't want you to tune out because anger is a more prevalent issue than you might realize. Some people think that they don't have an issue with anger because they don't ever explode at someone else. And while that is definitely how some people get angry, some people get angry by getting really hot and screaming and loud, some people get angry by being really cold and reserved and they pull away and they ignore people and they give the cold shoulder and sometimes that hurts a lot worse than a scream. So maybe you're not a hot boiling over anger, but maybe you've captivated people and hurt people with your cold anger. Jesus is going to apply his teaching about anger to selfishness in general. Uh, anybody here selfish? No, you don't need to raise your hands. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, so yes, this message has, has relevance to all of us. And he's even going to apply this teaching to conflict. Anybody here have a conflict this week? Of course, we all have. We've all had a conflict this week. And even if absolutely none of those things apply to you, you're completely free from anger and selfishness and conflict in your life, uh, then at least listen for others. Because there's people in this room, people around you who are, who are drowning in their anger, and they need your help. And so anytime we hear the word, we need to hear it so that we can be equipped to make disciples and to counsel others as well. So even if you think you have nothing to do with anger, the people around you that God has placed here need your help. We need your help. And sometimes we get angry because we think that we or someone else has been legitimately wronged, and that's true. There is a lot of evil in the world, and Jesus is going to address that later on in the Sermon on the Mount. But today, what he's really getting at in the passage is the more typical kind of anger. Sometimes we get angry about injustice, but usually we get angry because of selfishness. We get angry because we think that the world revolves around us and anything that interrupts that is a disaster. But friends, the world doesn't revolve around you. 
It revolves around Christ, and that's why anger and selfishness in any other form is so deadly, because it's literally an upending of the order of the universe. It's saying to Christ, you're not in the middle anymore. You're not what's most important. I am. And that's deadly, friends. That's deadly. Anger, selfish anger, is always rooted in caring more about ourself than others. Sometimes that's, that comes from a fear that we're not going to be protected or we're not going to get what we need or not going to have what we want if we don't get angry and selfish. Sometimes that's rooted in a desire for justice because we've been wronged or someone else has been wronged and we respond to that wrong with more wrongs, more anger, more selfishness. Sometimes anger is just rooted simply in a desire for comfort. I want things my way and to go easy and to live the good life, and somebody else is interrupting that. The world doesn't revolve around us, and so anger is deadly. But Christ here is going to give us a better way. He's going to call us to stop living for ourselves and instead to live radically, generously for others. And when we do that, we will know true and lasting peace. The main idea I want you to take home today is that the true disciple lives at peace. We've been in the middle of a sermon series on Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, the true people of the true king. That's the point of the Sermon on the Mount, the true people of the true king. In other words... If you want to know what a follower of Jesus' life is really supposed to look like, read the Sermon on the Mount. And today, he's going to describe how the true disciple's life looks like in relationship with others. The true disciple lives at peace. The first section in Jesus' instruction here, first, he, he explains the danger of selfish anger. And then he applies that teaching to our conflict. So the first thing I want to share with you is that selfish anger will kill you. We get angry in an attempt to defend ourselves and harm others, but usually, always, we're hurting ourselves. We're hurting ourselves. Jesus says in verse 21, You have heard that it was said to those of old, Jesus is there quoting the Old Testament, he's he's referring to the traditions of the culture around him. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now, we can all be on the same page here, right? Everybody's like for that statement. I know some people like to, you know, disagree with commands in the Bible. We all agree with this one, right? Nobody here pro-murder. Don't need to show hands for that one either, Um, but we will pray for you. Uh, no, no, none of us are pro-murder, but Jesus has more in view here. He says, verse 22, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So Jesus says, we're all against murder, but anger isn't any different. And I want to make clear here that Jesus is not contradicting the Old Testament when he says, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. He's not contradicting the Old Testament. 
He, he's clarifying it. He's commenting on it. He's showing us what it's always really meant. As we've said again and again in the Sermon on the Mount, God is not after a mere external conformity, as in you don't kill someone. God is after an inward transformation that your entire heart would be pure and dedicated to loving him and loving others. That's what he's after. And so it's not enough to just not murder someone if you hate them in your heart. Anger is like murder because it's selfish. You murder someone because you value your life more than theirs. And you get angry with someone because you value your life or your comfort or, or, or your rights more than theirs. Just think about, we're about to get real for DC life. Think about traffic for a minute. Here's some audible groans. Why, what on earth do we think we're accomplishing when we say some unsavory words about somebody that cuts us off on 295? What do we think we're accomplishing? We're defending our rights. We're getting angry in our minds because we believe that we're the center of the universe and therefore there's absolutely no way that that person who cut us off has anything better to do than we do. We've made ourselves the center of the universe. Think about how frustrating it is when your roommate or your spouse doesn't clean up after themselves. And maybe that's a reasonable expectation, but why do we get so angry about it? It's because we believe that our comfort and our space is more valuable than their comfort and their time. So we get angry. At our house, one of the most uh, perennial issues is laundry on the floor. And every time I see laundry on the floor, I get so angry at whoever left it there and I leave laundry on the floor way more than anybody else in my house. And so it's so ridiculous for me to get angry about that. The only reason I get angry is because I'm the center of the universe. And so it's okay when I leave laundry on the floor. It's not okay when somebody else leaves laundry on the floor because they're not the center of the universe. I am. Do you see how foolish and selfish anger really is? And those are some trivial examples. But you could apply that to massive issues in your life as well. Behind most of your angry outbursts or implosions is selfishness. You value your life and comfort more than someone else. Anger is like murder because it's selfish. And anger is like murder because it's deadly. Anger sometimes harms others, but it always harms us. It always harms us. There's a physical cost to anger. I learned this this week. This is really interesting. When you get angry, your body actually shunts blood away from your brain. It's like triggering a fight or flight response and saying, we don't, need to, we don't need to think right now. We just need to act. That's what happens when you get angry. Blood flows away from your brain towards your muscles. And so this can lead to increased heart rate, blood pressure, breathing, temperature, it can cause headaches, insomnia, high blood pressure, and even heart attacks or strokes. Anger is deadly. And friends, this is just a foretaste of the eternal judgment that Christ describes in verse 22. In verse 22, he says, But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And then he says the same thing two other times to really get the point home. He's not describing three different sins or three different levels of punishment. He's describing the same thing three times. This is a common thing that he'll do throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He'll say the same thing in a couple different ways to really help you get the point. 
Everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And so there's an eternal judgment that's coming against our anger. It's real, and it's got to be addressed. Anger will kill you. Maybe you won't have a stroke, but an eternal judgment is waiting. And that is why Christ calls his disciples to live at peace. Do you see how kind and loving that is? His commands are good for you. He is trying to save you from pain. So stop trying to justify your sinful anger. Stop saying, I'm not angry, I'm just impatient. Or my favorite, I'm not angry, I was just frustrated. No, let's, let's call it what it is. Drag it into the light so it can shrivel up like the little vampire that it is. We're angry and selfish. Stop baptizing your anger. And, and, and stop blame shifting. Stop saying things like, well, they deserved it. <laughs> that's not your call to make, friends. That's not my call to make. Because I'm not the judge. You're not the judge. You're not the center of the universe. It's not our call to make who deserves what punishment. And so even when we have been rightly wronged, consider these words from Romans chapter 12. Whether we've been rightly or wrongly sinned against, whether we really have or not, we need to remember that we entrust ourselves to the justice of God. Romans chapter 12 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So friends, you are not the judge. And again, later on in the Sermon on the Mount, we'll get into how do we respond to evil and injustice committed against us and others. But for now, just know that you aren't the judge. It's not our responsibility to right the supposed wrongs committed against ourselves. We trust God. Stop trying to justify your sinful anger and stop trying to vent your sinful anger. One of the most best-selling books on anger of all time could be boiled down to one phrase. Anger is a signal, and it's a signal worth listening to. And anger is not a sin signal to be listened to. It's a sin to be killed. The goal is not to merely stop boiling over and exploding. The goal is to have your heart transformed so that you love others, so that you're willing to lay down your life to serve others. Jesus isn't just after your external conformity. Stop murdering. He's after a total life transformation that you would live for others and not yourself, that you would step out of the center of the universe that you never rightly could have. The philosopher Blaise Pascal described that as a Copernican revolution of the soul. You know who Copernicus is? He, he's the, the first astronomer who, who realized that the earth wasn't the center of the universe. The sun was. All the planets weren't revolving around the earth. All the planets were revolving around the sun. 
It's the Copernican revolution. The earth's not the middle of the universe. The sun's the middle of the universe. And Blaise Pascal, the philosopher, said, you need to have that kind of revolution in your life. You need to realize that you're not in the middle of the universe. The Son of God is at the center of the universe. Stop trying to justify your sinful anger. Stop trying to vent your sinful anger. Selfish anger will kill you. And Jesus goes on, so end conflict quickly. It's easy to say, like, oh yeah, I'm done with anger. It's done. It's really hard to apply in the face of conflict. And Jesus gives two examples of this. The first one he gives is conflict in the church, conflict in the family of God. Verse 23, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus says that reconciliation with one another is more urgent than external worship. We, we, we see this throughout the Bible. Earlier in our service, we read from Isaiah chapter 1. And that's the main thrust of Isaiah chapter 1, where God condemns the people because they're doing all the right religious offerings and services on the outside. They're checking all of the boxes. And God says, I'm tired of you guys trampling my courts and giving me offerings when your hands are stained with blood because they claimed to love the God who was above them while ignoring and oppressing the poor around them. That's a huge theme throughout the Old Testament, especially in the prophets. And this was also a huge theme in Christ's day, where the Pharisees were, were all about checking the boxes and specifically making sure they brought all of the right offerings in while kind of like kicking the people that they didn't like. Here Jesus' is condemnation of the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, some fancy spices that the Pharisees are offering perfectly. Everything's great according to the letter of the law. But, Jesus says, you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Do you see the point here? Claiming to love God while refusing to serve others is a lie. And so how does this apply to what he said about anger? We get angry because we value ourselves more than others. And here Christ is saying that if you value yourself more than others, you don't love him. Again, he's not calling you to mere external church activities. He's calling you to something a lot bigger and a lot harder, to yield your whole heart to selflessly love others. So friends, don't live at conflict with one another in this church. Especially if you're a member of this church or if you are a Christian, you have a responsibility to be reconciled quickly. Do not give anger time to stew. Do not give anger time to stew. When someone sins against you, be quick to forgive them. And if you give anger time to stew, then you'll, you'll spend all this time justifying and being like, well, you know, I'm, I, they, they, really were, they really messed me up. They were really wrong. That was really evil of them. That's bitterness, friends. It's nasty. Cut it out. Cut it off. Don't give anger time to stew. Be quick to forgive. And when you sin against someone else, be quick to repent. 
And if you give anger time to stew after you sin against someone else, then you start to justify. You say, well, it really wasn't that bad. You know, they really, should have, they really shouldn't have taken that so seriously or so personally. No, that's not, that's not fair. That's not loving. So we cut it off before there's any chance for that to happen. We cut conflict off. We don't give it time to stew. And so, friends, if there's someone in this room that you are having a conflict with this morning, don't stand up and sing that last song. Run to them and confess your sin and repent. Because claiming to love God while refusing to love others is a lie. Conflict in our church will disrupt worship. It will disrupt worship. Jesus goes on to give another example, conflict with our enemies. Verse 25, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to the court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So in Jesus' day, there was a, a cultural norm that when someone was in debt and refusing to pay or behind on payments, they could be thrown into prison until their entire debt was paid, down to the very last cent. And Jesus is saying, don't put yourself in that situation. Instead, repent quickly when you wrong someone else, even outside of church. You really want to make ripples in your workplace for good? Start repenting quickly when you wrong someone. And everything around you will tell you, no, you don't do that at work. Like, maybe you can do that kind of weird thing at church, but no, not at work. Like, this is like professional or whatever. No, no, no. God is calling you to this kind of radical, countercultural lifestyle everywhere. Everywhere. And it will shock people when you repent to them. I Honestly, a few weeks ago, I, somebody was criticizing the way that I, you know, was taking care of my kids, and I snapped at him. I was angry, and I drove home, and I felt so awful about it, and I, I repented to the Lord, and I called that person up that I had snapped at, and I even called up somebody else who had heard me, and I apologized to them, and, and they didn't even know how to respond. They were like, okay, uh, thank you, and, and it just shocks people when we show how life-giving repentance is when we show how humble we are and we're able to do that because we're not the center of the universe so it's okay for us to humble ourselves the true disciple lives at peace instead of being controlled by selfish anger we must be characterized by humble repentance before god and before others hear this from colossians chapter 3 and above all these the Apostle Paul has been giving the Colossians instructions, telling them how to live, some positive things to do. And he summarizes it in verse 14 and 15. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. So Christ is calling you to put off anger, and to put on love and thankfulness. You want to stop being angry with your spouse? Start your day every day. I'm serious. Start your day every day by making a list of at least five things that are praiseworthy about them. 
What you're doing is you're putting on thankfulness and you're putting off anger and pride. That's almost always how the Bible instructs us to change, to not just kind of like white knuckle and figure it out. No, to put off and to put on, to replace, to not just like stop being angry, fix yourself, loser. It's, 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 it's put off anger and put on love. Replace it. Do something better. But where does this peace come from? Colossians 3 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It's only in Christ that we could conquer our deadly anger. The third point I want to share with you is that Jesus kills deadly anger. Christ alone can deliver us, friends. Here's the thing. So many people come to church and they think, I've got to get my act together. Like, finally, this is going to be the time that I get it all together, that I clean everything off, that I turn over a new leaf. And that is the opposite of the message of Christ. He's not saying, just like, stop being angry, figure your life out. He's not saying that to you today. He's saying, I have grace. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest, he says. Every command that Christ gives, he gives the grace to follow, to obey. That's what we talked about last week. Every time Christ gives a command, he gives the grace to his people to obey that command. Christ lived free from selfish anger. Even though he literally was the center of the universe, he didn't live like it. He lived to serve others. He lived with mercy. He lived with compassion. Have you ever seen Jesus Christ Superstar? You know the musical? There's a movie. I think it's like um, a lot of people like that. It's controversial. There's a, there's a scene in that movie that's grossly inaccurate. When all the sick people come to Jesus and they're like, heal us, touch us, it's fine. And Jesus screams at him. He says, leave me alone. That's not how Jesus is. He lived completely free from selfish anger. Completely free from selfish anger. So don't get your theology from that. He was merciful and kind. He never saw someone and sent them away. He never once did. Even when his disciples were like, Jesus, we're so tired. Just please send these people away. Jesus is like, you know what would be really cool? What if we got all these people lunch? That would be awesome. Let's do it. Let's do it. Whenever he saw a sick person, even, even a sick person that was ceremonially unclean, and the disciples were like, oh, Jesus, don't touch that guy. Like, that guy's, let's get away from him. Jesus was like, oh, no, 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 I need that guy. I'm going to the broken places. I love that guy. I want to show mercy to that guy. I want to help people that have nothing to offer. Jesus lived completely free from selfish anger, even up to the end. From the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. The people that were hitting him and beating him and had been humiliating him all day, the disciples that had abandoned him and betrayed him, he prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He lived free from selfish anger, even to the very end, even when it cost him his own life. And Jesus died to pay for our selfish anger. He took all of the punishment that we've earned for our selfish anger, and it was poured out onto himself 
So there's no punishment left for your selfish anger if you're in Christ. He has freed you from the penalty of your sin. You don't have to pay the price for your selfish anger anymore if you trust in Christ. Do you see how radical this is? It was finished upon that cross. It's over. It's done. It's paid for. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. It's finished. That's what we're going to celebrate on Good Friday, so I hope you'll join us. He lived free from selfish anger. He died to pay for our selfish anger. He rose to conquer our selfish anger. He's not in the tomb anymore. And that means you don't have to be angry anymore, friends. You are freed from the power of sin. You don't have to be controlled by anger anymore. Anger is such a pervasive sin that we feel like there's absolutely no way we could ever do anything about it. No, that's never true, friends. If you are in Christ, there is absolutely something that you can do about it because Christ is not in the tomb. He is alive, and if you believe in him, he has raised you up with him. Christians don't live this moralistic life. We live the resurrection life. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why it's such a big deal, because our old self died with Christ, and our new self rose up with him. A self that's able to obey. A self that's able to not sin. Christ empowers you and equips you to do that, friends. He rose to conquer your sinful anger, and he sends you to replace your selfish anger, to put off anger, and to put on love. Christ calls you to stop living for your own comfort and instead live to make disciples among all nations. He's replacing your anger. Put off anger. Put on love. Put off selfishness. Put on intentional discipleship. And remember, friends, throughout all of this, Christ does not angrily save you from anger. <laughs> I was with a group of guys this week, and we all confessed to one another that there's times that we get angry with our wives, and we're, we're serving, but we're like making it really obvious that we're serving. We're like washing the dish a little too hard, and then we kind of slam it in the dishwasher so it makes a really loud noise. We begrudgingly serve others, and that is never... That is never how Christ serves us. He's humble and selfish and selfless. Hear these words from Philippians chapter 2. This was one of the earliest Christian hymns that Paul quotes in Philippians chapter 2. Adopted the same attitude as that of, as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ, even though he was the center of the universe, never acted like it. He does not angrily save you from your anger. He does not selfishly save you from your selfishness. He is not going to roll his eyes at you this week, friends. He's not going to do it. 
He's, he's not, you're never going to get to the bottom of his grace because it's an ocean deeper than the sea. You're never going to get to the bottom of it. Christ was murdered for murderers. For his murderers. Because it wasn't just happenstance that placed Christ on the cross. It was my sin. It was your sin. Christ was murdered for his own murderers. Wow. What an astoundingly good gospel. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Just hear these words from Romans chapter 5. If you think that Christ is going to get tired of you, hear these words. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. When was the right time? After we kind of like fixed ourselves a little bit, like got ourselves like 50% of the way, that was not the right time. The right time was while we were still helpless. Christ died for the, for the kind of okay people. No, Christ died for the ungodly. So if you feel like you're messed up, if you feel like anger has a stronghold on your life that's never going to let go of, you're exactly the people that Christ came to save. You're exactly the people that Christ came to save. I read a quote one time from Charles Spurgeon. He said, Satan says that I am unworthy. Satan says that I am a sinner. Well, that's good news because Christ came to save sinners. If you are a sinner today, if you are feeling helpless today, if you are feeling like you're drowning today, you're exactly the kind of person that Christ has come to save. And just in case you didn't get it, Paul goes on in Romans chapter 5. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He just makes it so abundantly clear that you had nothing good to bring to the table. That's the whole point, friends. It's not about how strong you are. It's not about how good you are. It's actually about how weak and helpless and sinful you are and how great and mighty and strong Christ is. So friends, do not be a slave to selfish anger anymore because Christ is not in the tomb. And so you can throw your selfish anger in there and walk in freedom. Some of you don't know this Christ today. Uh, Some of you don't know him. You, you haven't been raised to life with him, but you can today. And so in just a few minutes, we're going to sing one more song. And during that song, there's going to be a few people in the back of the room who will be willing to pray with you, to talk with you about what it means to be raised to life in Christ. Don't let anything stop you, friends. You can't afford to let anything stop you because anger is deadly and it's going to kill you. So come to the Christ who lived free from selfish anger, died to pay for our selfish anger, rose to conquer our selfish anger, and sends us to replace our selfish anger. In closing, just one more thing. What do we actually do when faced with sinful anger? Hearing all this good stuff about Christ, well, what does it actually look like to put legs on this this afternoon when we get angry at someone? Well, the first thing is to 
Call anger what it is. Stop baptizing it, calling it frustration or impatience. No, it's sin. It's selfish. It's anger. Call it what it is. Number two, repent. Turn from sin towards God. That's what it means to repent. Listen to this word. This is how the Apostle Paul describes repentance in 1 Thessalonians 1. He says to the Thessalonians, You turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So an idol is a false god, and they never compare to the true god. And when we get angry, when we get selfish, there's an idol at play, right? It's us. We're the center of the universe in our own minds when we feel angry. And, and Christ says, turn from that idol, that puny idol, and serve the living and true God, the one who's able to save you. So stop worshiping yourself. Repent. Turn from your sin towards God. Number three, remember that Christ died to forgive your anger. The penalty is not on you anymore. And friends, that means that you can always come to God in Christ. He's not going to get tired of you and be like, oh, this guy again, like the same problem. That's never going to be his reaction because it's paid for. He's removed your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. Remember that Christ died to forgive your anger. Number four, remember that Christ rose to conquer your anger. You don't have to be angry anymore. Christ has purchased this. He's purchased it. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. How are we able to forgive? How are we able to put off anger and put on love? It's because Christ has forgiven us. It's because Christ has loved us. Number five, put off anger and put on love. The very next verses, forgive one another as God, as in God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians 5, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ rose and sent you out. He gave you something better to live for, to take yourself out of the center of the universe and to put him there, to live for his glory in D.C. and around the world. And finally, revel in the fact that Christ will never be angry at you. His grace really is inexhaustible. He will not get tired of you. He will not regret saving you. He will never say, you've got one more chance, tough guy. He is in it for the long haul. The true disciple lives at peace. So be at peace with God by being reconciled through Christ who died to forgive your sins, who rose to raise you up with him. Be at peace with God and be at peace with others by laying your life down to love them as Christ loved 
I'm going to ask the music team to come back up now. And as we sing this last song, I want to challenge you to do two things. If you are having a conflict with someone in this room, go to them during this last song because if you claim to love God while refusing to love others, it's just a lie. Go to them during this last song. You might think, well, I don't want to interrupt. No, 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 your, your conflict is already interrupting. So go to them. Be reconciled, friends. And you might be realizing today that you've never been raised to life with Christ. You've been a slave to anger or selfishness or maybe some other sin that we haven't even talked about, but that God's laid on your heart. Maybe you realize that you are a slave to sin. You haven't been raised to life with Christ. If that's your story today, I want you to come to the back of the room today, and we're going to be there to pray for you and to talk with you and to help you, to talk with you about what it means to follow Christ, to pray for you that God would give you victory over your selfish anger. Again, you might think, well, that might be embarrassing. Friends, anger is deadly, so let's cut it out. Let's cut it out. Christ lived free from selfish anger. He died to pay for selfish anger. He rose to conquer your selfish anger, and he sends us out to replace our selfish anger. He is a God who is rich in mercy, inexhaustible in grace. So come to him today and be reconciled.